0: Warning, this episode of True Crime 365 contains descriptions of rape and sexual assault. Adelaide, the capital city of the state of South Australia, is a much smaller city than its more famous counterparts, Sydney and Melbourne. Known as the city of churches, Adelaide can at times feel more like an old-timey town rather than Australia's fifth most popular city. But every church has a graveyard, and the gothic architecture acts as a macabre backdrop to a city with a darker side. Writer Salman Rushdie once said that Adelaide was a perfect place to set a horror story, and that things here go bump in the night. This week we'll be covering a case that feels like a horror story. Our own boogeyman lurking in the shadows. Maybe it's a story a little too close to home for me. Or maybe it's the fact that my favourite journalist wrote a book about him. Maybe it's the fact I travelled past landmarks of this case on a near daily basis, crossing the footpaths where victims would have walked in the final hours of their young lives. Maybe it's because the victims could be my friends, my co-workers or classmates. No matter what it is about this case that captures the attention of locals, the story is a reminder that even in our hometown, we are not safe that the world is chaos and we have no control over the outcome. This is the story of Mark Aaron Rust. Paynham Road, Adelaide, South Australia, April 12, 1999. 30-year-old Croatian immigrant Maya Jakić walked alone along Paynham Road, roughly five kilometres northeast of the Adelaide CBD. Maya had arrived in Adelaide with her mother and stepfather in 1990 after fleeing her home in Serbia after the country had been rife with war. In 1997, Maya was an Australian citizen and was working in a fashion store in Rundle Mall. Maya lives in an apartment in Glenelg, a popular coastal destination west of Adelaide, and was last seen on Jetty Road at noon on April 12. Later that day, she had made her way to Paynham Road. Her reason for being there is still unknown. As she's walking along the main road of a prestigious upper-class neighbourhood, She sees a man working on his taxi. He's an average-looking obese man with dark hair and a moustache. He smiles at her, calls out greeting her. Maya smiles back. The man says, want a lift? Maya declines and continues walking down the road. The man speaks to her again. How about a root? Which is an Australian slang word for sex. Maya replies, declining again and quickening her pace towards a nearby bus stop. The man climbs inside his taxi and drives down the road only to stop at a disused police station Maya was bound to walk past. This time, he drops his pants, exposing himself to Maya. The man had done this many times before. He was a serial sex pest with a particular liking for the disgusted looks on women's faces when he showed them his shriveled penis, which was a result of Klinefelter's syndrome, a condition in which a male is born with an extra X chromosome, Causing infertility, sexual difficulty, and small genitals. From the age of 13, Mark, Aaron, and Rust had been following girls, fantasizing about having sex with them. This soon escalated. Rust was convicted of multiple sex crimes, including masturbating in public and indecent exposure, with the first official charge coming in 1983. Eleven to 13 sex offences followed, and a number of other offences, including trespassing and arson. But the courts didn't focus on the sex crimes. They focused on the property and material damage she caused. In this, they handed out good behaviour bonds and didn't record convictions. They failed to protect people. They protected property. But not very well, mind you, considering Russ was imprisoned for causing $642,000 worth of damage to suburban buildings in Norwood and Kensington. One of Russ's favourite pastimes included exposing himself to schoolgirls at a bus stop in North Adelaide. Russ got a kick out of horrifying women. He hated them. 1991 saw this hatred extend further when his second marriage ended, after being accused of sexually assaulting his wife's daughter. Although no charges were laid, he did have to attend a sexual offenders treatment program. He didn't even make it halfway through the first day. He claimed the program was stupid. But this time, his target didn't look disgusted or horrified, and his needs had not been met. Maya took one look at him and laughed. Russ's hatred for women reached a boiling point. As Maya walked a turn away from him, he attacked her from behind, his pants still around his ankles. How about some fun, he says into her ear as he tackles her to the ground, hidden in bushes and bundles of sticks. His original intention was to rape her, but decided last minute he wanted something a little bit more shocking. He grabs Maya's mouth to silence her and begins to choke her. He would later claim to investigators that he did it for the thrill. Leaving her body in the bushes of the old Payton police station, Russ heads 50 metres down the road in his taxi, stopping at a payphone. At 10.18pm, he calls emergency number 000, informing the police that there is someone suspicious lurking around down near the old police station. The police searched the area and failed to find anything, not even the body of Maya Yakich. So Russ calls them again from a payphone near the old Royal Adelaide Hospital, this time telling police that he saw a body at the station. Again, police failed to find the poorly hidden body. What makes this even more unbelievable is that whilst the old station was no longer used for general police work, it was being utilised by senior officers working on policy changes Daily. Maya was half-naked in the bushes, left to decompose, only metres away from senior members of law enforcement. Norwood Police Station, Adelaide, South Australia, April 17, 1999, 10.25pm. Passers by see a taxi with its hazard lights on near Norwood Police Station. Only a few minutes later, officers from the station find a note under the windscreen wiper of a patrol car. The note read... There's a dead girl's body in the shrubs near the main road of Payne and Police Station. This is no joke. Take a good look. The note looked as if a young child with terrible spelling had written it. Russ was frustrated with the police. He wanted to see the horrified faces of officers finding the body, seeing as Maya had denied him her disgust. After many senior officers and investigators had failed to find Maya, Two fresh-out-of-the-academy constables finally discovered her remains. Adelaide, South Australia, May 13, 1999 Police make the decision to release a recording of the first phone call made to police and the note found in the police car at Norwood. This was done with the hopes the person who made the call would come forward or someone from the public would identify them. They didn't know if the person they were searching for was the killer, but they understood that he knew something that they didn't. On May 29, police released the recording of the second call. Still, no good leads came in. June 11 saw a special 1-800 number set up for the public to call. The number played both phone call recordings on a loop. One man recognised the voice. A childhood friend of Rust's by the name of Craig. He told both his parents that he believed the voice to be Mark Aaron Rust, but later convinced himself that he was mistaken. The police were searching high and low for information on the caller, who they believed to be a taxi driver. However, the man they were looking for was already in custody. Arrested for a trespassing offence in which he gave a false name and address, along with a charge for indecency, Russ was in prison on a 20-month minimum sentence. The case of Maya Yakut's murder was running cold. Still... No one suspected the obese, odorous man with a liking for shocking pretty women with his shriveled genitals. Goodwood Road, Cumberland Park, Adelaide, South Australia, August 2, 2001. Released from prison on parole only 10 days earlier, Rust wastes no time in getting back to his favourite pastime, exposing himself to pretty women. An 18-year-old woman stops to use an ATM on Goodwood Road, only to be dragged from her car by Rust. He blocks her passage back into her vehicle and masturbates aggressively in front of her. The woman pushes him to the ground, jumps over him and gets back into her car. Russ was already back on his feet, attempting to approach her again. She was beyond terrified. She reversed down Goodwood Road, an extremely busy and narrow main street, where making a simple right turn can become a collision, at top speed. The woman then drove to her boyfriend's house, who called the police immediately. Goodwood Road, Cumberland Park, Adelaide, South Australia, August 3, 2001, 10.30pm. An investigation into the murder of Maya Yuckich was still ongoing. No suspects had been named, and Russ was still at large. Forty minutes away from her Modbury apartment, 18-year-old Japanese Ironsbury College student Megumi Suzuki sits at a bus stop listening to a portable CD player. Megumi had come to Australia in October of 2000 after deciding she wanted to pursue a career in counselling overseas students who come to Japan. She made the move to Adelaide to get a better understanding of Western culture so she would be better equipped for the job. She was one of many Japanese students living in her apartment complex at Torrens Valley International Residence. She had plenty of friends and was known for her love of late-night karaoke and hot chips. It is still unknown as to why Megumi was on Goodwood Road that night but we know that Megumi had decided after a fight with a close friend that she was going to go nightclubbing alone. Mark Aaron Rust had been lurking around Cumberland Park only a day after his attack on the 18-year-old woman who would hold lifelong scars. He was happy with the result Cumberland Park had given him, so he decided to try again. However, Rust was no longer satisfied with the disgusted expressions he governed from pretty women. He wanted sex. He desperately craved it. And unlike every other sex-crazy bloke within 30 kilometres of the Adelaide CBD, a night out on Hindley Street wouldn't cut it. He was going to take it by force. Once Russ spotted Megumi, he saw the opportunity. He grabs Megumi from behind, dragging her away from the main road. Much smaller and lighter than himself, Megumi was easy to shut up. Her screams failed to ring out, and Russ managed to pull down her pants. However, his impotence strikes again and he's unable to get an erection. Infuriated by this, he attempts to strangle Megumi. After failing to do so, Russ finds a rock nearby and smashes it over her head. He bludgeons the small girl to death, then wraps Megumi's body in plastic sheets he finds nearby, before dumping her in a large rubbish bin behind some local shops. Megumi Suzuki's disappearance was quickly noted, with her parents flying over from Japan only a few days after she was reported missing by her school and friends. Her disappearance led international students to become fearful for their safety in Adelaide. The case was plastered all over Japanese news, and many parents refused to let their children travel to Adelaide, or even Australia, for study. One of Megumi's close friends, Chris Hamilton, saw himself under investigation after he told police under the advice of a friend he had some of Magumi's possessions at his home. The police honed in on Hamilton as their main suspect. He claims the police told him they believed he was either Magumi's killer or the reason she was dead. After an apparent sighting of Magumi outside the Akabar Hotel in Fullerton, the police began to believe that she was simply hiding from her parents due to rumours that she had a boyfriend her traditional parents didn't approve of or that the pressure of being an international student was too much for her to handle. Police and Megumi's parents pleaded for her to return home, but the sighting at Fullerton was a false alarm. She was already dead, the man responsible still lurking the streets of Adelaide, searching for his next victim. Kensington Road, Rose Park, Adelaide, South Australia, August 16, 2001, 8.50pm. Thirteen days had passed since Megumi Suzuki had disappeared and a woman was finishing up late at work. The lights of her office building suddenly go out, and she thinks to herself, Stuff it, I'm going home. She noticed that the surrounding building's lights were still on, and her computer was still powered up. Increasingly worried, the woman packs up her things and heads to the door. She feels a presence to her left, a dark figure which she identified as a male lurking in her office space. Mark Aaron Rust She puts her hand up to where his face would be and says, What do you want? Russ pushes her to the ground and climbs on top of her. He was wearing a balaclava, armed with a box cutter. The woman later stated she had no idea why her tone was so calm and submissive to her attacker, as she was terrified. But she had no idea what this man was capable of, so she wasn't taking any chances. It was this submission that would save her life. She told him that she wasn't going to look at him, even after he threatened to kill her. Russ became overcome with lust that he even handed her the knife to hold while he assaulted her. A mere few seconds after pushing his flaccid penis inside the woman, and he was done. The woman later stated she didn't even notice. He asked her for the knife back, and she hesitantly hands it to him. Leaving the woman alone in the dark, Russ leaves the building. The woman hurried out of the building and sought help from passers-by. As she fled, she memorised every number plate on the cars that she passed, especially those in the car park near her work. After giving details to the police, they found their man. On that same night, the police knock on the door of Russ Parole's address in Gillies Plains. He is arrested for rape and placed in the remand centre. He brags to other inmates about his crimes, including stating that he has Megumi Suzuki CD play with him, which he chose to bring in as a personal item as allowed by the prison. Adelaide, South Australia, October 2001. On October 21st, major crime detectives visit Rost in prison. He is charged with the murder of Maya Yakich. He faces up in the Adelaide Magistrates the next day. October 30 saw Ross charged with the murder of Megumi Suzuki, and the public is shocked to find this cold case solved. Whilst her parents bought a flight from Japan, Rust is happy to share the details about his murder with police. He tells them how he dumped her body in the industrial rubbish bin, and a macabre realisation falls over investigators. They knew where they could find Megumi's body, but it wasn't going to be easy. Wingfield, a suburb of west of Adelaide, was home to a large rubbish dump belonging to the Integrated Waste Management Services. 500 tonnes of rubbish is managed at the site every single day. Wingfield, Adelaide, South Australia, late 2001. The massive task of finding Megumi's body at the Wingfield dump began on November 26. Those tasked with the search included many police cadets from the academy, which was located not far away at Taparu. The cadets were welcomed into their law enforcement careers with days searching through mounds of Australia's rubbish and waste. This task was not made any easier by the arrival of notorious yearly Adelaide heatwaves, with the mercury pushing past over 35 degrees Celsius for days on end. But the 200 members of the search team were relentless in their searching. They were determined to find Megumi so she could be finally laid to rest. Finally, on December 7th, 2001, Megumi Suzuki's remains were found. Adelaide, South Australia, April 2004. Mark Aaron Rust is charged with the murders of both Maya Yuckich and Megumi Suzuki, as well as the attacks on the 18-year-old woman in Cumberland Park and the woman in Kensington. Justice Margaret Nyland sentenced Mark Aaron Rust to life without the possibility of parole. To this day, he is still fighting his non-parole period claiming that prison without any end in sight is emotionally distressing. Megumi Suzuki was cremated and her family took her ashes back to Japan. However, in Centennial Park on Gilbert Road, there lies a memorial plaque to her, only metres away from where her body was dumped on that fateful day in August 2001. Maya Jakić is buried near her mother's home in Croatia. Her mother visits the grave every day, sitting by her daughter for hours on end. No matter the weather, sun, rain or snow, she is there. And that's the story of Australian serial killer Mark Aaron Rust. The main source for today's podcast was City of Evil by Sean Fuster. Sean is one of Adelaide's leading court reporters and is an expert on the Mark Aaron Rust case. His book City of Evil was made into a TV series last year and had hit ratings smash here in Adelaide. Thank you for listening to True Crime 365. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime 365 and Twitter at True Crime 365. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash truecrime365. Keep your wits and I'll see you next week.